The following resource is from Cambrian Park Baptist Church. For more information, please visit cpbchurch.org. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you gave us the great shepherd of the flock, your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You sent him, Father, to gather your sheep from the four corners of the earth. Many of those sheep are gathered in churches just like this around the world. You've called under-shepherds to oversee and to love and to feed and to protect all those that you put under your watch care. I pray this morning, Father, that you would use this passage to help us to understand this calling to the pastoral office. And for my brothers and sisters, their part in it, how they are to love and respond to your word faithfully proclaimed. As Kirk has already prayed, Father, we ask that this morning, on this Lord's Day throughout the world, all your true under-shepherds would faithfully proclaim the whole counsel of God, that they would not shy away from the difficult teachings as a result of the culture or those in the church that may be offended, but instead would want to be faithful to Christ above all else. I pray, Lord, you would help me, an under-shepherd here at this church, be faithful to the proclamation of the gospel from this passage. I pray as well, Lord, that as we move forward as a church and you would bless us by your grace with more elders, that we would find ourselves enriched by the proclaimed word. Holy Spirit, we want to be a people that bring you honor and glory. We know we cannot do that apart from your word being proclaimed, received, and lived in accordance to. So do that for us right now, I pray. That which our flesh is unable and unwilling to do, we ask, Spirit, that you would for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the title of the sermon is God's Overseers. I hope you haven't checked out already. I hope that you think, well, you know what? This is really not for me. I'm not a pastor or elder. I never planned to be, therefore. Um, there's compelling reason for us to listen. Uh, first and foremost, it's God's Word, right? And we want to faithfully proclaim God's Word. But I would say in light of our cultural moment, we are in desperate need of understanding what is the role of the pastor? What is, a, what is an elder supposed to do in the context of a local church? Uh, most of you, and this is probably not uh, an overstatement, everywhere we look today, we see people in positions of leadership, high positions of leadership, that we would say, according to the Word of God, they are not competent to lead their own lives, let alone oversee millions. President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. I don't need to say any more if you know their, their, what they proclaim and what they testify to and how they live, um, then you know that these are people that are vested with incredible power to oversee the lives of millions, and they are not qualified to do so. My beloved, last week, the topic of discussion in the news was last week that all three of these proclaimed to be right was the constitutional argument the 14th Amendment, whether or not children have the right to receive hormone therapy treatment and or physical surgery in order to change their gender. This was upon the lips of these leaders. Not qualified. Now the problem in the Western church is that we've been swimming in these waters for so long. I've seen people in positions of power who are either immoral or incompetent or both, and that's made its way into the context of the church. And because we've allowed under-shepherds, men and now women, into positions of leadership in the church who are not qualified, 
we have experienced what many theologians are now calling the liberal drift, where the church of Jesus Christ today in the Western world looks more like the world than it does a gathering of Christ followers. In other words, as the expectations of our leaders in the culture have diminished, so too have they diminished in the context of the church. That cannot be. It cannot be because the Scriptures prohibit it, and it cannot be for the health and well-being of each local body. So this morning, as we jump back into Acts chapter 20, if you remember we left off, the Apostle Paul, he's in Miletus, and he's talking to the Ephesian elders. It's his farewell speech. He's heading to Jerusalem, and he wants to establish a course correction, certainly for us today, in how we are to understand the role of the pastor. Now again, if, you, if you're saying to yourself, you know, I really appreciate the time that you spent studying this and preparing it and praying for it, but I'm going to check out because I'm not a pastor. I'll never be a pastor. Um, I want you to listen very closely for two compelling reasons. Number one, we are an elder-led, congregationally-ruled church, which means one of your responsibilities is to call and dismiss the elders. So it's good to know what an elder is supposed to do if your responsibility is to call and dismiss them. Amen? All right. Number two, both the Old and New Testament testify clearly that as the elders go, so goes the church. If you bring under-shepherds in who do not submit to God, the Holy Spirit, and His Word, they will lead the church into destruction. Jeremiah chapter 50. Listen, God said, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. Whoever found them devoured them. That's not good. That's not good. So you have a responsibility, I would say, to yourself and to your brothers and sisters in Christ to ensure that the elders, at least at this church, if you're a member here, are serving according to God's word. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, for those of you who know Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, he describes the qualifications of the elders, who can serve in the pastoral office. But here his focus is on the job itself. It's a, a mini job description, and it's, it's basic, it's not full orb, so there are things in here we're going to talk about that, that are not the complete job of the office, but some of the big ones he has here on what a pastor or elder of a local church is supposed to do. And from it, I would like you to do this. I did not tell this to Kirk, but he now is going to find out. You are to hold me accountable, and you're to hold him accountable, and you're to hold any other elder or pastor who comes into this church accountable to these teachings. And if at any point in time I or Kirk or another elder deviates from these things, a very long, serious dialogue will ensue, and if it does not get better, then you will say to that pastor what? We love you. Goodbye. We love you. Goodbye. Okay? So three things I want you to see that Paul is developing here with the elders in Ephesus that he wants them to know, that I want you to know, three aspects of the pastoral office. Overseers are to one, declare, two, pay attention, and number three, admonish with tears. We are to declare the full counsel of God. We are to pay attention to the well-being, the care of the sheep, and we are to admonish with tears, with tears, the people of God. So the theme of the sermon is simple. A good theme is always simple. God appoints pastors for the well-being of his people. Can I get an amen for that? Hey, good, thank you. Okay. God appoints pastors for the well-being of his people. Point number one, we are to declare the whole counsel of God. 
Now, last week, if you're with us, we, we saw Paul, and he's in, uh, he's in Miletus, and he's talking to the Ephesian elders, and he's establishing what they've seen from him. He said, when I was with you, I was a humble servant. When I was with you, I spoke the truth in love to the brothers and sisters in the church for three long years. And he said, and I shared the gospel widely with Jews and Gentiles. And he picks up here in verse 25 with continued instruction. And we're going to get in a little bit, he's going to actually go to direct imperatives. But he's still trying to give them a vision for what their job is as elders in Ephesus. Look at verse 25. Paul says, and now behold... I know that none of you, that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Now there's great debate amongst the scholars whether or not Paul actually saw the Ephesian elders again. If I had to argue, I would say he did, that as he made his way from Jerusalem to Rome, he had an opportunity to speak to the Ephesian elders again. And people say, well, then, then he was wrong here. Paul's not speaking prophetically here. That's not the intent of it. He's speaking with finality. He's saying, this is my farewell address. So Listen, elders, I want you to listen very, very closely to what I'm saying because I may never see you again. Look at verse 26. Therefore, he says, it's a great transition in the Greek. We want to grab onto that. Therefore, in light of the probability, Paul says, of me never seeing you again, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, if you were here with us when we did... Uh, Acts chapter 18, and Paul landed in Corinth, he says the same thing, that he's innocent of the blood of all men. And we established, remember, he was drawing upon Ezekiel's watchman analogy. And Paul says, when I was in Corinth, remember before he left, for three months he tried to share the gospel with the Jews in Corinth. And for three months they would not listen. He said, that's it. I'm going to the Gentiles. Your blood is on your head. I am innocent of your blood. And so he's saying the same thing here in to the Ephesian elders. He said, I'm innocent of the blood of all. I'm innocent of all the, those in Ephesus. Look at, look at why, verse 27. He said, I'm innocent for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, he had been a faithful watchman while he spent three years in Ephesus. He had proclaimed the gospel, listen, of Jesus Christ. He said, listen, God is holy, you are sinful, and apart from Jesus Christ saving you from your sins, you will be judged. He declared that boldly and faithfully. In fact, he says, I didn't shrink away from it at any time. I declared, Paul said, I proclaimed, I taught, I reasoned the whole counsel of God. And then Paul's saying, and you have to do the same. He's sending the elders of Ephesus back to do the same thing. My beloved, one of the reasons that we preach expositionally here. I was going to say Cambrian Park Baptist Church. The reason we preach expositionally book by book here is in order to be faithful to the whole counsel of God. Right? It was, it was do you remember in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was being tempted by, by the devil in the desert? Do you remember in one of the temptations, Jesus responded to him with this. Matthew 4, 4, he said, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every single word of the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore important. And if you are a follower of Christ and you want to know every single word, every jot, every tittle for you. And so the danger, as you know, of topical preaching is the bias of the pastor or the bias of the culture will make its way into the church and we will only teach that which we want to teach or that which we want to hear. 
And I'm not saying that all topical preaching is bad, but if that is the general menu that you're going to get week after week, year after year in a church, it can be very, very dangerous. In fact, I would argue that pastors would never pick a passage like this to even talk about, um, let alone preach on. Um, Many evangelical churches today that claim the word of God to be inerrant and infallible, that will claim that every single word is God's word, shy away from so many of the basic binary passages today that talk about things like gender or race or sanctity of life or politics or divorce, all because either the pastor or the church or both, they're afraid of inciting the culture against them or from the pastoral office, they're afraid that people will hear and walk out those doors and never come back again. Right, it's easy today here in this area. You're just going to go down the street. If you don't like that, you'll go down the street a little bit further. So it's not hard to just move to another church. I think one of the more common things that we see in churches today is the watering down of the gospel, the watering down of the character and nature of Jesus Christ and the person of God. We love to talk, and I do. I love to talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of Christ and the cross that he died on for us. Those are all topics that should cause your heart to stir. But... If we only speak of those things and refuse to use terms like sin and punishment and judgment and hell, then we are creating a God that's not real. We are creating an idol instead of the God as he's revealed himself in the word of God. I I remember years ago I was listening to a sermon by a pastor who I will not tell you who, and he was preaching on Romans chapter 9. Now, if you've studied Romans chapter 8, 9, and 10, those are just brutal, difficult, fantastic, incredible chapters in God's sacred word. And they're hard because they're hard in part because of what it says, and they're hard in part because it's hard to understand. So he was in chapter 9, and he was getting to verse 18, and I was really eager to hear what he had to say. Romans chapter 9, verse 18, when God says, So then, he, speaking of himself, God has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. It's one of the more difficult verses in all sacred scripture. And he skipped it went right by it. And I thought, rewind? I must have missed it. What happened? Well, he just decided this is too controversial in what it says, and he left it. My beloved, listen. Um, Overseers, under shepherds in God's church, we are messengers. We're not editors. right? I'm a messenger to you. There are so many things that I say to you from the pulpit that are from God's word that I would never say to you if not for God's word. No under-shepherd, no overseer, I'm sorry, I'm going to get excited here, has any right to edit God's word. It's God's word. I don't care how famous, I don't care how educated, I don't care how many doctorate degrees they have. God's word is God's word. We have no right to edit it. The whole counsel of God is necessary. The proclamation is necessary. So what? So we can know who God is. Right? If we only take parts of the Bible that we like, and preach and teach that, then you have, in fact, created an idol from God's word. And that's hideous. Idolatry in itself is hideous. But to take God's word and create an idol, and therefore submit only to a God who uh, fashions himself according to the certain verses that we will piece together, we need to have the whole counsel of God so we know who God is. We need to have the whole counsel of God so we know who we are, how we are to live in faith in Jesus Christ how we're to walk in holiness, the ministries we're supposed to engage in. As we look at last week, we need the whole council to teach us this week after week and year after year. I pray, I pray some of you are here for that reason. 
I do. I pray that you came here or you were already here and you thought, you know what? For the last 20 years now, we've been doing book-by-book expositional preaching. Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament, New Testament. Um, I hope that you think, yeah, I, I want to know the whole council. And that's one of the reasons I'm here. I hope as well, if you have a family um, or a friend or, or an acquaintance that you know that professes Christ and they're in a church that is not doing faithful expositional preaching, I, I hope that you would pray for them and maybe talk to them and say, hey, you know, um, I know the church you're going to. I'm not saying that they're not Christian, but there are places. There are, you know, there are lots of great expositional churches here, right here in the South Bay, some great preachers in the South Bay. And you can direct them to that and say, hey, you know, just give them a shot. Hear them out. It's a dangerous thing to have topical preaching at our ears week after week. So simply put, any pastor, any pastor that is not declaring the whole counsel of God, I would argue, according to this passage, is not fit to pastor. Period. All right? So first we see the need for pastors to faithfully declare all of God's word, not just what they like or what they think people want to hear. Are you with me still? Are you still tracking the word of God? Number two, look at verse 28. Pastors are to pay attention. Pay attention. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. You talk about uh, a verse for pastors. This is one. I mean, this is huge. So Paul now moves, he's He's no longer going to use his life as an example. He moves to direct imperatives. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of God. And so he, he draws in the flock analogy. And, and if you've been in church any period of time, you've heard the teaching on God's people as the flock, Jesus Christ is the great shepherd, and then pastors and elders being under shepherds, caring for the flock of Christ. Um, verse 28, he said, we are to care for the church of God. And now, that word, when it says care for, the Greek literally says to shepherd the church of God. So you can, you can actually move those back and forth. To care for the church of God is to shepherd the church of God. Um, they would have known, and you probably do too. I mean, it's not that far removed from our culture. I know that you probably don't see shepherds and sheep walking down the street every day. But most of us have enough knowledge to know what that livelihood is like and, and the responsibility of it. Certainly they did in in, uh, in the, the Mediterranean culture, they knew shepherds. Um, maybe some of them were shepherds at one point in time. They would have drawn upon the idea that, that God is the great shepherd in the Old Testament of the people of Israel. Uh, they certainly would have thought about David, right? David, who was the shepherd boy who became king. And most importantly, they would have drawn upon Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ identifies himself as the good shepherd or the great shepherd of his people. And so they would have understood this analogy that Paul was drawing upon. And I think we do too, very basically. Right? So one of the primary responsibilities of a shepherd was to what? It was to feed the sheep. Right? So the shepherd would take the sheep to an area where they could feed on the grass, and then they would take them to a watering hole where they could drink. Well, the same applies for pastors. One of our primary responsibilities is to faithfully feed the sheep of God. Well, how are you fed? You're fed by God's word. So the preaching and the teaching and the Wednesday nights and the discipleship group, that's all geared at giving you good, solid food that you might be nourished in Christ. Another thing that sheep were supposed to do and still are today is that they were to lead their sheep to places where they could be nourished and they could multiply, right? They wanted more sheep. They wanted baby sheep. 
And so one of the things that pastors are supposed to do is to lead a church in a particular way where that church will grow and nurture and become healthy and multiply too. Internally, hopefully by having babies, and externally by bringing the saved in, right? Another thing that the sheep, that shepherds are to do is to protect the flock, to protect them from wild animals or from theft or from sickness, right? God's pastors are called to do the same, to make sure that the, the sheep of God, the children of God are not deceived by false teachers or false teachings. And so we're, we're to feed, we're to lead, and we're to protect. That's pretty easy, right? Feed, lead, and protect. Remember, you're, you have to hold us accountable, so you must know what we're supposed to do. Feed, lead, and protect. Now, all of this, Paul says, requires that you pay very close attention. And he says, to yourselves and to the flock. Pay very close attention. Do you notice it was interesting. I hope that you, you didn't think that Paul was teaching them to be self-centered when he said, pay careful attention to yourselves. Right? He essentially saying, listen, you're not going to be able to lead anybody if you've gone astray. Right? All you're going to do is lead those people astray as well. And we get this example. I mean, if you've ever flown before, at the very beginning, before the plane takes off, they talk about the potential of a decompression in the, in the, in the cabin. Right? And what do they tell you? Parents, what do they tell you? If you have small children... Put it on yourself first, and then put it on your child second. Now, they tell us that because the natural inclination for the parent would be to grab it and put it on the son or daughter first. The problem is <clears throat> hypoxia happens very quickly, and you will be unconscious, and you're not going to be able to help anybody, let alone your son or daughter, if you are suffering from extreme hypoxia. My beloved, it's the same for pastors. Pastors will be no good in leading God's people when they are suffering from the effects of sin, when they are not keeping a right guard of their own heart in Christ. Healthy, effective pastoring requires healthy pastors. That's a simple concept, right? I mean, we get that. So Paul instructs them to attend to their faith, and did you notice this? Look with me, to, to all the flock, and there's an emphasis there on every single member of a church, from the least to the greatest, from the oldest to the youngest, from the most mature to the most immature, we are to, pastors are to attend to, to care for, to shepherd every single member of the body. That means no favoritism. That means, listen, that means no special treatment. That means no uh, encouraging some because they're a lot like you and not encouraging others because they're very dislike you. A pastor of God's people is to show the same love for every member of the body of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's hard. Flat out, that's hard, right? I do believe it's possible, though, because we're called to it. And I, and, I, and I truly believe this, my beloved, that Christians, we are united in Christ, right? We have, we have more in common with one another. We've been united to Christ. We've been bought by his blood. We've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we've been brought together as a family here in this place. We have more in common with one another than you do with your spouse or your best friend or your coworker, or your own biological brothers and sisters who do not know Christ, you have more in common with one another than them. And therefore, we should be able to, pastors should be able to care for every member of the flock, regardless of the commonalities or how we are not alike. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, my, my struggle has not been that in terms of commonalities. I I love, I love different people. 
Um, I love being surrounded by people who are not like me. Um, I, in part, I find them very intriguing, and in part, I have a lot to learn from them. Um, my struggle has been biting sheep. My struggle has been sheep that bite and bite and bite and bite hard, and my tendency has been to pull back from them. Well, that's not good shepherding. A good shepherd expects to be bitten, at some, sometimes very, very hard, and the good shepherd does what? He presses in. He doesn't pull back. So that's an area you can pray for me, and don't bite, okay? But then pray for me. If you do bite, then pray that I will, I will love you appropriately. So now, Paul's not assuming, he's not assuming the Ephesian elders have this, this real clear understanding of the high calling of the pastoral office. So he wants to explain to them. He's going to press three subpoints here on why it's so important that they listen to his words. Uh, number one, he says, pay close attention and take care of God's people as an overseer because you are not an overseer by chance. Did you see that in verse 28? Look at verse 28 again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, overseer, for those of you probably know this, that term means supervisor or to superintend something. Um, it can be used, it's used interchangeably in the New Testament. You have overseer, you have elder, you have pastor, right? So don't say, oh, the overseer is the high one, the pastor's down here, and then you know, the elder's somewhere in between there. They're used interchangeably in the New Testament. They, they do describe different aspects of the office, but they're the same office. That's the reason we don't have overseers and elders and pastors here in different places. Same office, same person we're talking about. The emphasis Paul is making is not on the aspect of oversight, it's on who appoints the overseer. Did you look at that? 28, the Holy Spirit, he says. He's speaking to elders now from Ephesus. He said, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, we believe, and the Bible teaches, that on the one hand, a man who is called by God will have an internal calling. There will be a calling upon his heart to, to turn away from whatever else he is doing and turn and commit his life to the pastorate. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So we believe on the one hand that you are compelled, a, 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 an under-shepherd is compelled by the Spirit to go into the pastoral office. We also believe, listen, and they go together, that there's an external confirmation by a Holy Spirit-filled church, Right? We've had men come through here who believe that they were called to the pastorate and the church says, we love you, you are not. We've also had men come through here who are called to the pastorate and the church says, you're called. And they go, oh, I'm not. And they say, oh, yes, you are. Sometimes they pursued that, other times they have not. In other words, there's an internal calling and an external calling and they're both of the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit who appoints every single pastor now, you should say, well, that, that's sufficient for weight to the office, pastor. You better pay attention, pastor. You better do your job because the Holy Spirit hired you. And that's a true statement scripturally. He hired you. Now, I would imagine if um, you got home tonight and you received a phone call from the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, and he called you up <clears throat> because you have incredible negotiating skills. Right, you're the, you're the Jim Baker of your time. And he calls you up and he says, listen, I want you to negotiate a ceasefire with Russia. And you're able to do it. If you took that job, I imagine you would say, this is the president of Ukraine. He's asked me to come in and help save the lives of his people. You would probably take that calling very, very seriously, would you not? 
I imagine if you were qualified and you were able, you would probably go and do that. My beloved, how much more for the pastor who's called by the Holy Spirit of God himself? There's no higher appointment. There's no higher place to be appointed by. Pastors are to take the calling seriously because God himself places him in that position. It means pastors should not listen. Pastors should not come and go like the revolving doors that we see here in Silicon Valley. That this is not Google. It's not Facebook. We don't come for two years and leave. It means that pastors are supposed to say, it's not a job. <laughs> I remember that advertisement. It's not a job. It's an adventure, right? I think that was for the U.S. military. I think it was for the Army, right? It's not a job. It is a calling. It is an appointment. It is an office given by God. It's not for personal gain. It's not to step your way up to the next bigger church. And we see that today. So much of the culture has made its way into the pastoral office. So I'll come to, I'll come to a church like this, a smaller church, and I'll stay here for a couple years and got my eye down the street. Foxworthy's bigger. I'm going to go there. And then from Foxworthy, I'm going to get up to First Baptist on the hill. And then from there, oh, that's, that's not a pastoral calling. right? That's personal gain. Um, every pastor should take seriously the pastoral office because of who hired him. Not their own hearts and not the church, even though those two reveal the calling, it's the Holy Spirit of God himself. Secondly, Paul says this. Look at verse 28 again. We are to, pastors are to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now, I, I gotta tell you, this is the most compelling reason for me to be faithful to the pastoral office because of what Paul reveals here about the church. Every true church, every true church is a gathering of sinners saved by grace. Every true church. And every single sinner that's truly saved by grace and gathered into a place like this has been saved by what? By the blood of Christ. It was his blood that was shed in order to make us sons and daughters of God. It was the blood of the lamb upon the cross that brings us in. So the question for you is how valuable is the church of God to God? How valuable is the church of God to God? So valuable that he was willing to send his only begotten son to ascend a Roman cross and have his blood spilled. This is the God-man. This is Jesus Christ. So that through his death and resurrection, we could be gathered just like this on a Sunday morning. In fact, he uses the word here in verse 28 so that God could obtain us. So that he could have us. People, sinners, saved by grace, now set apart in the family of God, for the glory of God for how, for, forever and ever. God could not place, God cannot place a higher value on his church than this. You know that, right? God cannot place a higher value on his church than the blood of his own son, you say, well, how valuable am I to God? How valuable are we, this little church here in San Jose, to God? Infinitely, literally, infinitely valuable because the blood of Jesus Christ, his life was shed for you, and he is infinitely worthy. Oh, my goodness, are you precious to God. You are precious to God, and therefore you are precious to me as an under-shepherd, and I pray you're precious to one another. So amazing that he would do that to save sinners like us. Infinitely valuable to the living God. This, now this, so it's, it's so hard for me to grasp, Pastor, there's so much sin still in my life that God would love me like this. Listen, once you've been redeemed, once you've been brought in, you're a, fa you're a member of the family of God. 
right? You belong to Christ. You're united with Christ. And Christ, God the Father loves you as he loves the Son. If, for example, if, if Hazel and Brandon were gracious enough to let me take James to the park and, and run around with him there, and I had some come up and say, that is one of the cutest little boys I've ever seen. I'd say, absolutely, he's my grandson. And they said, you know what? I'll give you a million dollars for him. A million dollars. Call up his parents and see if they'll say yes. And I say, absolutely nice. I'll give you 10 million. I'll give you a billion. I'll give you all the money in the world. I still wouldn't have to call Brandon and Hazel. Why? Because, one, James is an image bearer. He's an image bearer. So he is infinitely more valuable than all the money in all the world. And two, he's part of our family. So we're not going to give him up. There's no way we're going to give him up. My beloved, listen. If Jesus is the image giver of all mankind and a member of the holy triune God and God the Father gave him up to have you, then you are, without question, of infinite, eternal, forever and ever value. You have value that's given to you by Christ, which is infinite in nature. You literally are valuable by the blood of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter made this clear. He said, you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, I'm going to tell you, any pastor in his right mind, this calling to pay attention to the blood-bought children of God is terrifying. And it should terrify any under-shepherd in his right mind. The most precious people in all of creation, under-shepherds are called to care for and to protect and to feed. What a fearful responsibility. And what a great honor. And what an amazing honor. Last year, if I don't know if you remember, Kirk and Sarah and my wife went to Tennessee to go to my nephew's wedding. And Kirk and Sarah let me take care of Abby and Ellie for three straight days. Three days. I mean, it was amazing. We had a wonderful time. But it was terrifying on the one hand that I had these precious little people under my watch care. And what an honor that they would put them under my watch care. How much more, listen, how much more fearful, what a greater honor for pastors called by the Holy Spirit to watch over, to care for the blood-bought sons and daughters of the living God. No comparison. As much as I love those little girls, there's no comparison in that calling. So Paul says, pay careful attention, care for the flock, because one, the Holy Spirit hired you. Number two, you're overseers of the most precious creations in all the universe. And number three, don't lose you on this one. Look at verse 29. Paul knows what's coming. He says, wolves are coming. Wolves are coming. Look at verse 29. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so that term, fierce, fierce wolves, is, is outsiders that are going to come into the church, and they're going to make a mess of the body of Christ. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus warned the disciples of this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are what? Ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves. So that's, that's teachers and teachings that have made their way into the church to impact, scatter, confuse God's sheep. And there are so many. I had several examples here. There were too many. 
but just some of the major ones we're still getting today. A multi-pronged attack from the outside in. We're still Christians today and pastors today are still compromising on Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 because of the teaching of evolutionary biology. Made its way into the church. So we change scripture, we change a hermeneutic in order to subsidize this thinking. Many Americans of the West, we've accepted critical race theory and social justice theory because we think that that's what God actually is teaching too when actually it is just racism. So Paul, he warns, he says, outside, and look at verse 30, and inside. He said, from among, look at verse 30, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So we know in Ephesians chapter 5, And in Revelation chapter 2, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. This actually happened. From the outside and from the inside, people rose up in order to mislead God's children. So God's overseers are specifically charged to protect the sheep from false teaching. So if at any point in time, I or Kirk or another elder here does not call heresy into account, does not call it into account in the context of the church, then we are culpable of not protecting them. The question for Paul was not if it was going to happen, it's when it was going to happen. So I've I've been pastoring here for 20 years now, and it's happened multiple times, outside and inside. False teachings, misleading teachings, sometimes only two degrees off center, just to confuse or distract or take away from God's holy church. Now, I, I, in, in the context of American history, I don't think there's a better example of shepherds not guarding the flock than the Episcopal Church today. The Episcopal Church, for those of you, the Episcopal Church has a, an amazing piece of our origin as a people. In fact, the, the northern colonies, uh, they were populated largely by Episcopalians. A famous Episcopalians you would know, George Washington, James Madison, James Monroe, all Episcopalians, all presidents of the United States. Some amazing theologians, some of you know, William Law, J.C. Ryle, J.I. Packer, John Stott, great minds in the Episcopal Church. But if you know the Episcopal Church today in the West, it is a far cry from its glory days 200 years ago. The Episcopal Church today, formally, listen, Formally, this is endorsed by their elders and by their bishops. They formally endorse gender fluidity, gay marriage, abortion, biblical errancy. They believe the Bible can be an heir, egalitarianism, social justice theory, female pastors, universalism, and the list goes on and on and on. See, well, how did that happen? The failure of under-shepherds to protect the flock. The failure of pastors to hold fast to the word of God. One author wrote this. He said, few churches, speaking of the Episcopal Church, few churches have ever been, have been more aggressively inclusive than the Episcopal Church. Yet, from, 20, from 2002 to 2012, that's 10 years, the Episcopal Church in the West lost 18.4% of its members and its church attendance declined by 25% by becoming inclusive. And he rightly concluded, and I would agree, liberalization is one of the fastest ways to empty a church. And the pastors will be held accountable. The elders will be held accountable for not standing firm on the word of God. So we've seen that overseers are to one. Are you still with me? You, remember, you've got to hold me accountable, so you better be listening closely. Number one, declare the full counsel of God. Number two, pay close attention 
and care for the people of God. And I got one more for you. And this is the hardest one for me, and it's the hardest one for you. So let's listen with all our might. Number three, we are to admonish one another. I'm to admonish you with tears. Paul says to the elders, look at verse 31. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul closes by saying to the elders, in light of the fact that you have been called by the Holy Spirit himself, in light of the fact that you are an overseer, you are to care for the blood-bought children of God, and in light of the fact that real threats will come against the body of Christ, he said, I want you to be alert. It literally means I want you to stay awake, watchful, night and day, carefully, compassionately working to ensure that no one leaves the course of God, that no one deviates from the narrow path of the gospel. That all those, Paul's saying, all those in Ephesus under your watch care, you want to make sure they what? They make it to the end. Right? I mean, we want, as pastors, we want you to glorify and magnify Christ in your life. We do. We want every day to be so beautiful in Christ that you are a living testimony with your mouth in your life. But ultimately, ultimately, you said, Pastor, what is your greatest desire for me? Ultimately, it'd be to glorify Christ by you making it by you entering into the presence of God, that you become a saint victorious and that we get to spend eternity together as a family in the presence of the living God. In other words, <laughs> when I left, I left teaching and I was in teaching, I taught for 12 years and I worked at IBM before that. Teaching's Monday through Friday, right? No one goes to school really. Saturday school for some of you if you were bad. But for the most part, you weren't in Saturday school. You weren't in Sunday school. I guess Sunday school if you were really, really bad, right? Um, and I had a very regular schedule. I'd get up in the morning and I'd go to work and I'd come home and I'd have dinner and that was very normal. And for the first two years of my ministry, I tried to squeeze the ministry into this nine to five. And you know what? I just, I finally thought, you know, I can't do it. There's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I needed some pastor to tell me that before I spent two years trying to make it work. Um, the pastor, it is not a nine to five job. It is not a job, it is not a calling that we are to take lightly. It requires fidelity, it requires patience, it requires persistence, and I would argue today in the West, it requires longevity. It means that pastors have to stick around long enough to get to know the people, and the people to get to know their pastor. You know a grievous thing from this passage, you know? The Apostle Paul was a missionary and a church planter. Both of those are temporary, right? The missionary goes to a location, they plant a church, once the church is healthy, they then leave. Paul was, the longest he spent in his three missionary journeys was in Ephesus. He was there in and out for about three years. Do you know that Paul was in Ephesus as long as most pastors in the West are in a single church? Do you know that? A missionary and a church planter in Ephesus longer than most pastors. The average pastor in the United States serves between three and four years on average. That's the average. That's not good for pastors. And that's not good for churches. In fact, according to a recent Barna research survey, 1,500 pastors in the United States leave the pastorate every month. 1,500. That's 18,000 pastors a year in the United States saying, I'm out, I'm done. Uh, according to the Hartford Institute for Religious Research, this number astonished me. I don't even know what to do with it, so just hear it. 50% of pastors interviewed said they would leave the ministry if they had another way of making a living. Well, that's not committed. 
And that's not a calling. In fact, Charles Spurgeon and several other men did too. Charles Spurgeon said, if you can do anything else but pastor, do that other thing. Do the other thing. Because you've got to be called to this. You have to be compelled to this by the Spirit. That same survey, uh, th- this is even more grievous. 83% of the spouses said they wanted their husbands to leave the pastorate. 83%. Now that's, well, that's the exact opposite of the picture that Paul is painting for us and painting for the Ephesian elders here. He was, he was teaching them something very simple. Mark Dever summarized it. Mark Dever is a pastor. He's been at Capitol Hill Baptist Church now for probably uh, 25, 30 years. And he had this great summary. We met years ago, a group of us pastors, and he said, preach, pray, love, and stay. And that stayed with me. He said, what do you need to do? Preach the word of God, pray for the people, love the people, and stay in the place God has called you. Stay a course. I had another professor, Dr. Andy Pack, years ago. He was a professor, and he's a pastor down in Southern California. And he said, I plan to go out my church feet first. And he was like 35. I'd never heard anybody say that, and I loved it. I loved it. He said, this is my home. This is where God... Now, okay, does God move pastors? Of course he does, right? He, they're all, all true churches are his church. So he will move pastors from point A to point B to shepherd other churches. But the trend line in the United States is not good. Hopping around two years, three years, four years, it's not good. It's not good for the pastors, and it's certainly not good for the church. I know one of the reasons they're leaving, though, and that's verse 31, what Paul calls the pastors to do in verse 31. Look with me. The latter part, Paul says, remembering, Paul says, he's calling now, he's reflecting upon his ministry. For three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Now, admonishing is not a word we use today much. I mean, Christians do. <laughs> I don't imagine you ever go to your colleague, I need to admonish you. They'd say, what, is, what does that mean? Did I get coffee and a donut with that or what? Admonishing is, listen, it's reasoning, it's warning, it's trying to keep people on the narrow path of the gospel of Christ. One author put it like this, I like this. He said, it is exerting positive pressure on someone's logic to urge them to turn to God. Using the word of God to come to someone in a positive way, but putting pressure on them to turn to God. It's a warning, it's a rebuke, it's a correction out of a love for God's children. It's all those difficult dialogues that no one wants to have, pastor or member of the body of Christ. It's all those times when we need to come and say, thus saith the word of the Lord, when we see amongst the sheep sickness or disease or turning away from God. Now, it's particularly hard in this culture because in this particular culture, our movement now is out. If we don't like what we hear, we leave. Now, now, if you were in Ephesus, it was a little different story there. If you rejected the church in Ephesus, you literally had to move to another city to find a church. Well, if you reject the church here, I can give you five or six great churches that you can drive to within 10 minutes. So it's harder for pastors today because pastors believe that if they say something, someone's going to leave. Right? Well, but that's not love for God's sheep. Not at all. Um, the admonishing is done collectively from the pulpit week after week. One of the things that, you, hopefully you don't think all he's doing is admonishing us. Hopefully that's not. But hopefully there is admonishment that comes from the pages of Scripture every time we gather. Right? Um, so that has to be in place, but it also has to be in place one-on-one. 
pastors and elders coming to the members of the body of Christ and lovingly warning them, right? Lovingly rebuking them, saying, I'm seeing this direction in your life. I'm seeing you're going wayward here. This is what God's word says and bringing that to them. Right? Those are hard conversations. They're hard to have. They're hard to receive. And we don't want to sugarcoat this. They're just hard. In fact, a, a pastor recently said to me, this is the part of the calling I dislike the most. I think, well, who doesn't? I mean, it's just, it's just hard. It's hard. In an ideal world, what would happen? In an ideal world, pastors would have such a great love for Jesus and such a great love for the church that they would speak with tears the truth, the hard truths that the members of a church would need to hear. They would do that. And in an ideal world, every single member of that church would say, tell me. Tell me what the Word of God says. Tell me how I'm going astray. I want to be right with Christ. Tell me, tell me, tell me. You'd be dragging us saying, you've got to tell me what you think. What does the Scripture say? Help me here. Right? That's an ideal world. That doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, but it's what we are to strive for in Christ. Our cultural moment, I do believe, has created a perfect storm when it comes to admonishment, when it comes to pastoral admonishment. Now listen. First, our sin nature does not like to submit to anyone at any time. Right, that's our sin nature is one of rebellion against God. And if you, listen, if you're going to rebel against God, then you're going to rebel against man, are you not? If you're going to rebel against God, you're going to rebel against man. And that rebellion is cheered on by the culture. The culture says, if you listen to anybody, if you have anybody tell you what is right, what you ought to do, well, then you're being oppressed. You're not free. And so we take our sin nature and we, we attach it to the culture and they team up together to make this admonishment very, very difficult. And so if you're an evangelical, in an evangelical, expositionally preaching church, and you hear Hebrews 13, 17 preached, you will in principle say, amen, but in practice say, no way. You heard it read already, I'll read it again. Hebrews 13, 17, the commandment from the Holy Spirit, obey your leaders, speaking of elders, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So every single elder will stand before the living God and give an account for every single member of that church. Everyone. So the culture and the flesh team up and make this very, very difficult. Now this leads to two things. This leads to people saying, don't tell me what to do. Don't, don't tell me. No. <laughs> the pastor really has nothing to say to you other than the word of God. Right? If I come to you and I say, you know what, I, I've been... I've been praying for you and, and you should take this job and you should marry this person and you should go to this state. Well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe counsel might be good, maybe not. That's not what this is talking about. This is admonishment from the word of God, right? So when a pastor is speaking from the word of God and they're speaking God's word truthfully, hopefully with tears and expressing that, they are speaking on behalf of Christ, the great shepherd. So to refuse a pastoral admonishment from God's word is to refuse Christ. And that's what makes this so serious. You're not just turning away from a man. You're turning away from the man. You're turning away from the God man. Well, these struggles in the culture and the church, it's caused pastors to get quiet. Pastors are not speaking and saying what they ought to do. I think oftentimes churches get so caught up in the definition of a successful church today a successful church today in the context of the Western world is lots of people, tons of media coverage, countless ministries, programs, programs, and more programs, and personal admonishment 
gets pushed aside, easily pushed aside for the growth of the church. Numeric growth, not spiritual growth. Right, no one wants it anyway. Pastors don't want to say it. Members don't want to receive it. So let's just not do it. Let's not admonish anybody. Well, you do that long enough and you're going to have a church that's very, very unhealthy. I'm very thankful, my beloved, that the solution for both pastors speaking, admonishing in tears, and members receiving is the same. It is to look to Christ. It is to see the good shepherd and how he shepherds our souls. For the believer, this is for you now. Listen, it means that when you hear the word preached, and maybe even some of you today have bristled a bit, or or one of the elders comes to you and talks to you in love and says, listen, I'm seeing something and I'm very concerned about, and and this is what God's word says, this is what I'm seeing, and they say that to you in tears, it means that you will be able to, in the spirit, to submit. And you'll want to submit. You'll want to hear what an under-shepherd has to say to you about God's word because you realize, and if you don't, if you didn't before this moment, then realize it now, any pastor Any under-shepherd that's speaking to you God's word is speaking on behalf of Christ, right? We're not editors, we're messengers. And we may, it may be, the context may be wrong. We may be seeing things incorrectly. That's why dialogue is necessary. Lots of dialogue and lots of tears. But usually when the pastor goes to someone to talk about it, they're seeing something and they're concerned about it. And the word of God is brought to that person's attention. So to reject it, listen, to reject the word of God from your pastor is to reject the word of God from Christ, the great shepherd. That's where the weight comes from, right? I'm a sinner saved by grace, just like you. But if I bring to you God's word, and it's true in the context of your life, and you reject the word of God that a pastor brings to you, you're rejecting Jesus Christ himself. You say, well, well, that's the one who died for me. That's the one who obeyed the Father's word perfectly, even to the point where he ascended the cross. That's the one who loves me so much. That's right, you said his blood was spilled that he might have me, that he might obtain me. Why would I want to not listen to him? Well, that's a great question. Why would you not want to listen to the great shepherd of the sheep? He did all this to save us and then equip us with the Holy Spirit to be the people of God, for men, sinful men like me, to be faithful under-shepherds and for sinners like you, saved by grace, to be, be faithful members of a local body. He, he equips us in the Spirit to hopefully recognize that pastors who are faithfully discharging their duties are a blessing, right? That you want the full counsel of God. That you say, tell me all the things I want to hear and tell me the things I don't want to hear but I need to hear. Right? The Holy Spirit enables us to see what, how good that is. The Holy Spirit enables us to see, listen, that every single person needs a pastor. Every single Christian needs a pastor and a local church. Otherwise, what? There are wolves out there. There are wolves out there who want to devour us. Take away the shepherds. Take away the body. And we are vulnerable. So the Holy Spirit enables us to see that, that, that elders and pastors, that what a blessing. What a blessing that God in his providence would put someone who would have to have a watch care over your soul. Right? It's Hebrews 13, 17 is one of the more, fear, more, more fearful verses I have to deal with. That I'm, For members of this local church, I'm going to stand before the living God, and he's going to say, what about Debbie McKinley? And what am I going to say? What about John Hamm? Bad answer. I don't know who that is. Well, that's a terrible answer. I've seen John now and then, but I really don't know. No, to give an account before the living God 
is a fearful thing for a pastor. And what a glorious thing for you. And what a glorious thing that someone has to give an account for your soul. Right? Charged with that. Pray for me. Pray for me on that. It is a great blessing to have pastors faithfully bring to you the word of God. So if you find yourself either not paying attention when you should be, I mean, you come and you do this because it's Sunday, but you're really not listening. You're busy doing other things. Or maybe you hear the word of God and you don't like it, you become defensive or angry. Or maybe one of your pastors comes up to you and they sit down with you in tears and they want to speak the truth to you in love and you, you push back against them. When that happens, I want you to look to Christ and ask, is this God's word or not? If it's God's word, then don't hate the messenger. Hate the sin that's keeping you separated from God and hear the word faithfully. But I also believe that Christ is the answer for pastors to be courageous. Christ is the reason that we can stand and faithfully proclaim the whole counsel. Christ is the reason that we can go to brothers and sisters and speak the very hard truths of God's word in love. Because Christ, he is my pastor too. Right? Christ is the good shepherd who died for me too. In John chapter 10, pastors must go back to this again and again, and we must remind ourselves who the great shepherd of the sheep is. Now I'm going to tell you, so here's a confession for you too. Over 20 years, I've worried in ways that I should not worry. I've worried about this flock, and I've been concerned and anxious about this flock. And when I do that, what? I'm to be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition, submit it to whom? The great shepherd. It's his church. But what a sin that is when pastors worry too much about the people of God. I'm not saying not caring and not loving and not paying attention, but care in a way that is inordinate. It's God's church. John chapter 10, Jesus said, listen with all your might. I, (laughs) Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. For myself and every other pastor out there, Jesus laid himself down for his under-shepherds too. He ascended the cross for his weak under-shepherds too so that we could know him and we can know the Father intimately and personally now and forever. In other words, Jesus laid down his life for a sinner like me so that I can, as an under-shepherd, lay down my life for sinners like you. We can come in and love like that. That's how you stay a course. That's how you get bitten a lot. That's how you get rebuked a lot and stay a course because Christ died for the sins of us all. And in light of that, we can love in that same fashion. We can lay down our lives for the blood-bought children of the living God. And we can hold on to a promise. Peter made a promise to all under-shepherds who stay a course. I remember when I read this first time in seminary years ago, and I thought, wow, what what an amazing thought. Listen, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 4, when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, he's speaking to elders and under-shepherds. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you, under-shepherd, will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a thought. What a thought for a ministry that at times seems so difficult that that crown of glory awaits a faithful under-shepherd. Saints, I'm going to close. It's your responsibility to hold the under-shepherds of this church accountable to this calling. It's your job. You're responsible to that. 
And it is your responsibility to help your pastors by listening and doing the proclaimed word of God. Don't make our lives difficult. That's of no benefit to you. It's of no benefit according to Hebrews 13, 17. So let's be that church. Pray for me, pray for Kirk, and pray for any other man who will serve as an elder here. And pray that we would, as a body, faithfully live in accordance with God's word. That we will together follow the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it is an amazing thing that you would cause, call such evil men like myself to care for such precious saints of yours. I confess fully, Father, that more often times than not, I feel completely inadequate to serve as an elder here at this church. I pray, Father, that you would be gracious with me and Kirk and all the elders and all your two churches throughout the world to be fully committed to this high calling that we would remember daily, Lord, that it was the Holy Spirit that appointed us, not man, that we would desire to truly care for each and every soul that you've saved by the blood of your Son, that we would declare the full counsel of God and that we would not be afraid to admonish, to say the hard things when we know it is for the blessing of those who will hear and ultimately for your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would bless our church with elders like that. I pray, Father, you would bless every true church with elders like that. Men solely committed to glorifying the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. Father, cultivate here in our church a spirit of, of listening, that we would be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry and slow to leave, that we would continuously, not only elder or pastor to member, but member to member, that we would frequently speak the truth of God's word in love, that we might stay this narrow course, that we might not be devoured by sheep, and that we might bring you the most honor and glory possible. I ask you to do this, Father, for my brothers and sisters here for this church, for the impact we'll have on this community, and ultimately for your glory. You are worthy of such people. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. Cambrian Park Baptist Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit cpbchurch.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.